this is Annie, and you're listening to Stuff I'm Never Told You. Today, we are joined by Jack and Miles from the Daily Zeitgeist podcast. Thanks so much for joining us today. I'm so excited to have you. Well, thanks for having us. Yeah. We're excited to be on the show. I'm really sorry I don't have a fun intro song for you. I know that's like <laughs> that's something I always enjoy when I listen to your podcast. <laughs> well, yeah, that's uh, those are all fan submitted, so we, we don't have the uh, the the genius to come up with those ourselves. Yeah, but we start off our show by inserting our names into classic songs uh, as AKs because <laughs> we are narcissists. <laughs> well, I I enjoy it, and your fans are very impressive. And you both have the distinction of being the second and third men on the show, I think. I think. So, yeah. Yeah, woo is correct. We just high fived each other in a really manly, masculine way. You won't let go of my hand. Ow. (laughs) Oh, perfect. (laughs) There's no pressure, no pressure here. Um, (laughs) And for the listeners, you might have heard me over on their show a couple of months ago where I said one of my most controversial public statements ever. So (laughs) go check that out if you haven't heard it. But please don't rain down the fire of anger. I already went through it. Don't do it again. Um, (laughs) And interestingly, the day I was on your show, the first Avengers Endgame trailer had dropped and we talked about it. And today, the second one dropped. So anytime there's a particular trailer that I'm excited about, we have to do a a podcast together. That's just science. (laughs) I actually arranged it. I I had Marvel do that uh, just to line things up. I felt like it would give us a good jumping off point for this conversation. (laughs) And look at that. It worked out. That's why we kept pushing the date. We're like, just get it to land on the 14th. Right, right. That's perfect. I I didn't know you had that sway. What do you think about the trailer? Um, I, I really liked it. The last one was kind of very sparse on the details. So I watched that one like 22 times. This one I've watched twice and I I think it's kind of spoilery. So I'm not going to watch it anymore and dissect it. Um, it has given me, I don't want any spoilers. I haven't even seen the first Avengers movie. That's how afraid of the spoilers I am. (laughs) (laughs) That's, you know, that's, that's a really interesting approach. I don't want to know. Yeah. I hadn't yeah. considered that. Um, <laughs> I do like trying to guess endings. So what I think I'm going to do so no one thinks I just like lie and say, I, I guessed it. I'm going to write down what I think happens, seal it in an envelope, and give it to a friend. And then after the movie, I can see how correct I was. And have that notarized too. So yeah. there's <laughs> no ifs, ands, or buts about it. You, you know, you don't want someone to accuse you of having a plant right. to, to, to pull this off. So I would suggest yeah. that. Yeah, that, I was going to say email it to yourself, but uh, I'm pretty sure you can copy and paste. So Yeah, that could yeah. be tampered but with. The email, there'll be receipts, though. You'll know okay. when that email is sent. Can't, <laughs> fake, can't fake that metadata. That's right. That's true. That's true. I don't want anyone questioning. I, I want to win fair and square. <laughs> um, so the topic that you pitched today is likability and the betrayal of women in the media, and particularly politics, correct? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Um. And is there any particular reason you pitched this topic? I mean, I thought it uh, kind of was one of the more unfair things that we saw in the 2016 election, sort of the double standard uh, that the two candidates 
seemed to be held to. Uh, and then we were seeing it kind of crop up again as uh, the Democratic field started filling out for the 2020 election. Um, I think we're going to specifically talk about Elizabeth Warren, but uh, that was a thing that I was hearing brought up in the context of her candidacy quite a bit. And then just from a personal standpoint, uh, I just always noticed a wild double standard. I used to, I started the website cracked.com and we used to post videos and articles by women. And I just noticed a huge double standard in the comment section when it came to, you know, what women would say versus what uh, men would say that, that people would really get upset about, (laughs) uh, you know, the, the personas of women and, you know, uh, or assume that they could read uh, the minds of the women and, uh, you know, add on all sorts of weird uh, context that they thought the the person was, you know, just assuming unlikable things about the person. Yeah, and I think also just as, you know, the Democratic Party begins to be a little more representative of what the base looks like or what the country looks like, just seeing how all these new batch of women entering Congress are also like the first thing they're dealing with is that same double standard, yeah. like immediately. Right. right, because one of the first things that Politico ran after Elizabeth Warren announced she was running for president was an article about her likability. Right. right. Yeah, it's just like, yeah, I mean, yeah, she's really smart and qualified and everything. But is she likable? Right. Do people like her? Is she <laughs> too desperate for people to like her? Yes, yes. There was that question after she did the the Instagram video of her cooking and she had a beer and immediately afterwards everyone was like, she's so desperate to appear likable. And I, I have always thought that was a weird thing. Like, I know plenty of people who don't drink, but there's this whole political, I could get a beer with that person. I right, get it, right. but it's strange. <laughs> Yeah, it, it's a way to communicate we're, we're all normal people and I drink beer. I drink your favorite be- favorite beverage as well. But yeah, it's really funny. The media, like the mainstream media, when it comes to women in politics, turn into like high school bullies. Like they're just like, oh, it's so desperate for our approval. And right. just like really like mean girl type stuff. Right, like Elizabeth Warren has a beer and it's like, oh God, she's trying to trick us all. Like she's not some elitist. <laughs> Brett Kavanaugh's like, I like beer. And people are like, you see, he's not a sex predator. <laughs> right. right. Like, what? Okay. Like 40 times. Yeah. Too. That yeah. was his primary, qu- it seemed like he thought that was his primary qualification. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah. Being on the Supreme Court. Overemphasis on beer, really. Right. I like beer just like the everyman. Right. Right. Also, I mean, look, Elizabeth Warren, someone I'd love to have a meal with, not just a beer. Yeah. I want to pick her brain. <laughs> yeah. Right. Absolutely. Well, that is, that is a better approach, uh, in my opinion. Um, she also has a dog now, Bailey, and uh, everyone loves this dog. They chant his or her name. I don't know. Um, at, at rallies. But still, people are saying she did it as an attempt to be more likable. Which maybe, right. maybe, <laughs> but still, I, it's odd that that's the first thing. Oh, that dog is just to be likable. I mean, you kind of saw this with Hillary, where it was, uh, it was this unwinnable scenario where, you know, she was too robotic and too calculating, uh, or you know, shrill. But then, anytime she did something 
that seemed like in response to that uh, observation or criticism, then she was like, you know, that it was it was an impossible scenario to to win. And it seems like they've already set up that catch 22 for Elizabeth Warren. And, you know, if she does feel the need to respond to these incredibly unfair standards that, uh, you know, the mainstream media holds women to in politics, like that shouldn't be something that we, uh, judge her negatively for it's right. the reality of the situation and it's terrible and again yeah she gets a dog the shouts of conspiracy right to try and come off more appealing to people yet you know no one cares that trump is like one of the few presidents who's never had a pet right yes and then like yeah well, i mean that's fine that's fine you know whatever like he, he he's being real he's being authentically a person who hates <laughs> life right yes. right he always gets credited for being authentic, even though he lies all the time. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> and Hillary Clinton had the opposite, where she was inauthentic because I think she was trying to walk this line of being likable but also tough, like not too feminine. And yeah, I, that that really bothered me during the 2016 election. How many of my friends would say, "I just, I just don't like her. She's not likable. She's inauthentic." Right. I'm like, yeah. yeah, yeah. She was probably coached to be that. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, th- that was always a thing. It's like, there's something about her. I don't know. Right. And you're like, come, wait, but hold on. This is a binary decision here. Right. Like, are you still going to sit this one out? I mean, I knew people who actually would voted third party because of that same really vague reason. It's like, I don't know. It's just something about it. I'm like, are you, is this because you're just conditioned to just be suspicious of or a woman trying to enter the sphere of like male dominated politics or like what do you can you even articulate what this thing you can't put your finger on is <laughs> right yeah and we've talked a lot on this show about um anxiety around female ambition and female power and i think a lot of that we saw play out in that election and um we'll definitely come back to that a little later in this episode Uh, I did want to go back to Elizabeth Warren for a second because Democratic analyst Dan Payne, he had some advice for her when she was running. (laughs) Take it from a man, Elizabeth. Smile a little bit more. (laughs) Oh, Oh, no. Oh, my gosh. I get that all the time. I hate it. (laughs) Right? Um, She was running for Senate in 2012, and he told her to lose the granny glasses, soften the hair, and get coaching to deepen her voice, which grates on some, and have a little modesty and stop the finger wagging. It adds to her strict school mom appearance and bossy manner. <laughs> so, bossy. Yes. Oh, that's another, a catch. That's another a, buzzword. Yeah, another buzzword. Ripped from the playground. <laughs> anytime you hear it, it's just absolute. Well, yeah. that just shows you how early on we're conditioned, right, to look at things like that. Because bossy is like one of the first things, like a, your first criticisms you learn as a kid. For like, a woman only, though. Right, yeah. Like, right. A oh, man so is, bossy. A man is like a boss. So. Yeah, <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah. Oh, yeah, Ross the boss. But right. yeah, exactly. But yeah, that whole bossy angle is really just, I think, shows you where that's, that, that's exactly where it's coming from. Yeah. Right, like bossy or bitchy. Those are immediately to shut you down, to take away your credibility. And they're, they're used that way. They're kind of weaponized to make you basically shut up. Right. The, the voice thing. I mean, that like Elizabeth Holmes from Theranos. That's right. Like her game plan is the right. deepen, deepening of the voice, which is interesting because we we were talking with someone who's like a speech coach, mm-hmm. and just sort of the ways in which you know women are meant to t- take up less space or conditioned to 
take up less space even with their voices. Yeah. And even that, you know, extends into like, well, then how some people are trying to flip that completely and say, well, then let me adopt something deeper, yeah. or more masculine to even be heard. Another example of uh, where I've seen this in my day-to-day life is with Vocal Fry on yeah. uh, podcasts. I, I actually think this was, there was an episode of This American Life where they talked about, uh, you know, the, the top comment that they get from people is uh, criticism of women who report for them having vocal fry. But then Ira Glass was like, listen to my voice. Right. I have vocal fry too. You just don't mind when I do it because, you know, you're sublimating some uh, feelings that you have that are tied up in sexuality and gender. Oh, I could go on and on about vocal fry and the the complaints we get about it. There is this notorious fan in heavy quotes, fan letter, that um, one of our other podcasts got, and they did an episode on vocal fry. And somebody wrote in and said, um, women are doing this because they perceive it as higher class. Men perceive it in a different way, and we control the world. If they don't care about our opinion, they can continue. If they want to be higher, then they should learn to control the speech impediment. Oh, and was and was his ED cured after he sent that letter? <laughs> right. it may, if it was, I would love to know about that cure. Right, right, right. Like toxic masculinity to reassert your dominance in wow. some really lame way. Yeah. Oh well, we run the world. Oh, what a poor, poor yes. man. As clear as clearly evidenced by the fact that you are writing letters to a podcast company, <laughs> exerting your immense uh, power right. over right. the the world. Um, right. Yeah, and I mean, also, I think that story goes on to, or another article that I read about vocal fry went on to point out that women tend to be actually speech innovators. Like they they talked about upspeak, sort of ending your sentence on the up thing. So right. it sounds like less de- definitive. And that started with Valley Girls, but now like I, that's the only way I know how to end sentences <laughs> right. is with upspeak. And uh, they're saying vocal fry, the same thing is happening. You know, we're, it's spreading around the world. So there is a, a lot of these uh, tendencies that people overtly criticize, they're probably critical of them because uh, they know how <laughs> they know how powerful uh, women tend to be. Yeah, yeah. Um, it, it is uh, that would be a different podcast, but working in in this industry and like receiving those. Those complaints, and then you get all in your head about, well, how do I speak? Is this terrible? And the, right. the curve of learning, just don't think about it. <laughs> just don't right. think about it. Yeah. yeah. Um, going back to Elizabeth Warren and that that not-so-great advice uh, that that analyst gave her, there has been a lot of comparison to the coverage of Bernie Sanders, who is sort of given this cool guy pass for his <laughs> shouting and finger wagging and glasses and hair, um, and yeah, the coverage of Warren, it it's just pretty stark how different it is. Even though a lot of the qualities are kind of similar, it's almost impossible to imagine a woman politician who doesn't comb their hair and whose clothes don't fit them and who like is constantly coming in in rumpled (laughs) outfits that they clearly just took a nap in uh, because 
that that would just never happen. And if it did, people would call her presumably a cat lady or something like that. Right, right, you know, right. It would just be, it, it would not be even remotely allowed. But with Bernie Sanders, it's just like, ah, he's a lovable. He's grandpa. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Wacky grandpa with exactly. some loony ideas on equality. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and I do find it funny, not funny, that when Hillary Clinton got the 2016 nomination, the press was like, why didn't the Democratic Party choose someone more likable like Elizabeth Warren? <laughs> there you go. Wow. I don't know. Yeah, don't you can ne- find we'll articles. Never, no one will ever, he can never win. There right. really is that impossible game. Right. Yeah. Until Oprah runs. And even then, they're going to be like, yeah. Oh, I mean, you only, bossy. you only like her yeah. because she tells you cool stuff to buy. <laughs> yeah. She's really more of a consumer advocate. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the first question Kirsten Gillibrand got by the press after she had announced she was a presidential candidate, uh, it came with the preface, I think a lot of people see you as a pretty likable, a nice person. Wow. Yeah. So I'm Trying to imagine that being... Something that somebody said to a male politician. I think if someone yeah, said that, it would be like negative. It would be perceived right. as a weakness. Right. Yeah, that would be a particularly devastating line of questioning for Beto, right? <laughs> right. If they were like, look, you're nice. You're a nice guy. Yeah. You're very likable. Nice enough. But it implies a lack of substance, right? Yeah. Um, and the word... Oh, yeah, to- I'm sorry, go on. (laughs) No, no no worries. Um, In the words of Shilpa Podka, the vice president of the Washington think tank Center for American Progress, quote, of course, voters' sexism and outright misogyny still exist. There's a constant focus for women on what they're wearing, what they look like, and the tone of their voice. It's almost as if they're not only running for president, but also running for Miss America. Yes. I think that's a great way of pointing out the, the bind that women politicians are in. Well, it's even the, yeah, the pageantry aspect is even applying like, it's again, it's this fine line. It's like, well, what are they wearing? Whatever. But then Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is like, oh, what she's wearing is too nice. Too nice. Yeah. I thought you were a poor. Right. Now what's she, this? Regular people a clothes? Man, a person of the people, yet she wears nice clothes. And then they start listing off the price of all of her clothing. <laughs> right. The dancing was... Like the biggest controversy on the right, particularly. Is that she was a person in college who danced to yes. music at one point. <laughs> because we Terrible. all live in foot, Footloose Town, apparently. Mm-hmm. That's disqualifying. We all know it. Um, I actually read a really long essay about um, how, if you look at the, I guess this was oh, 2008, um, and Hillary Clinton and Sarah Palin both. Like, Clinton personified the Madonna and Palin personified the whore. And you have to be—there's, like, a space in between that you have to exist where men have to believe they have a chance with you. And that's one of the only ways you can succeed. Yeah. Yeah. That— Jack, let's just see ourselves out. <laughs> Honestly, why are you even talking to us? Yeah. Like, for good this reason. This is gotcha podcast. Yeah, I'm like, uh, <laughs> I'm here to atone. <laughs> I would add, too, you can't be too pretty because there is that bimbo trope of um, people perceiving you as incompetent if you're too beautiful. So 
Right. You yeah. can't possibly be smart, which is why you see uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez attacked for, you know, saying like too many times or any time yeah. she gets a fact wrong. Meanwhile, if you look at any member of the house, like they are <laughs> right. constantly speaking in front of cameras, they get details wrong. But she is held up to that because, you know, it it kind of helps uh, people reconcile their feelings about, yes, wanting to have a chance with her, I think. And she's also not, you know, uh, discouraged by the criticism. She doesn't even respond to it in a way that's normal. And I think that's what bothers a lot of the trolls out there who want right. to try and shame her because at no point does she really ever, you know, give her power away to, like, these outrage mobs on the internet or just on, like, Fox News. She just sort of perseveres, calls out the sexism, misogyny, hypocrisy of whatever the criticisms are of her, and then keeps it moving. They're like, uh, 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 okay, we'll find something else then. Right. Yeah, that's probably, I don't know of a better way to to deal with criticism than that um, in this public realm. So kudos to her. And And going back to clothing choices, I love how... Oh, women cannot win on this one. And there's things like uh, sneaker gate and heel gate and like pantsuit gate. Right. Like they turn it, they blow it up into this huge thing. And I'm thinking we can't, can we not just move on from the clothing and talk about the issues? I guess not. <laughs> <laughs> but the clothing indicates how much of a chance I have. Right. Exactly. <laughs> they have to be right. Exactly. Right. Not too threatening and not too, like, right. pushing any boundaries. We don't want any of that. I have to be able to bring you home to my mother, but also think about you when I'm not, when I'm alone. <laughs> right. Walk that line. Right. Yeah. Easy. Easy. Right. Um, and kind of like we were talking about earlier, men are rewarded and even considered likable for displaying more masculine I would say unlikable qualities like anger, rudeness, loudness, brashness. And women are punished for that behavior, too aggressive, too shrill, too bossy, too bitchy. Right. But they're also punished for displaying traditionally feminine behaviors. And so are men. And and this is punished by men and women, to be clear. A lot of times it's less about likability and more about violating traditional gender norms. Right. It's just that with women in powerful positions, uh, both poles are wrong and also both like middle grounds are wrong. It's just people uh, find a way to disqualify any woman. Well, yeah, and especially the Brett Kavanaugh confirmation hearing was just that whole idea of just shown in public so aggressively where someone is screaming at a senator. And being so disrespectful. And again, it was, huh, he was sticking up for himself. He mm-hmm. was sticking to his guns against the bullies. Meanwhile, <laughs> like, and then even if you just look at how the, how people viewed Christine Blasey Ford or even like Serena Williams right. in yeah. her tournament. Right. And it's just sort of like, oh, my goodness. <laughs> we can't have this now. Someone Someone's sticking up for themselves? Right. No, only guys can do that. Yeah. Serena Williams versus how people judged John McEnroe. With John McEnroe, Uh, it was like, we're going to give him, this is going to be his thing. He's the bad boy. With (laughs) Serena Williams, everyone was like, what is happening? Like, call the doctors. Right. Something's wrong. (laughs) She's hysterical. She can't play anymore. We can't stand for this. (laughs) Right. In the words of Roxane Gay, likability is a very elaborate lie, a performance, a code of conduct dictating the proper way 
to be. And I think that that is key to a lot of what we're talking about. And there, there was this study that I, I found when I was researching sexism and language, and it was looking into people who outright admitted to thinking women were lesser than men. And it found, wow. yeah, yeah, there are people out there that, are, yep, um, both men and women. And it found that male respondents described themselves with these words that are coded that were masculine. And they, that was, they saw that as a huge benefit. And the female respondents described themselves in words like not tolerable. I'm not tolerable. I'm not empathetic. Also going out of their way to say, essentially, I am not like those other girls because in our culture, masculine is better than feminine. Hmm. Yeah. yeah. Um, and the argument at the end of of this paper was that you can see it in the feminization of the Democratic Party as opposed to the masculinization of the Republican Party. The Democratic Party needs to be likable, but the Republican Party takes pride in not being likable, like being aggressive, being not being politically correct. And yeah, they're kind of largely rewarded for it. Yeah. I mean, Republicans like to say that Democrats are mom, we're dad, and they think that's a positive thing. Right. Um, it's like, oh, if you want to go and cry to somebody, the Democrats are there. Join the snowflakes. The snowflakes. Right. We're, over here, we're over here getting our hands dirty with mm-hmm. the blood of protesters. <laughs> <laughs> right. Like, we, we will take the aggressive military action because we're tough. No one right. else will we're do not, it. Yeah. <laughs> we're not thinkers. We're not our book club trying to solve our problems with nuanced debate. Right. Like to send your kids to war. Right. Yeah. It's uh it's really interesting to view along like so many of the issues come down to gender roles or like how people feel about traditional sexual and gender roles. Like so so many of the left right issues really a lot, a lot of them I find come down to just you know am I willing to empathize with women, <laughs> I think, in a lot of cases. Am I willing to admit that uh, a woman is also a person like me and has an internal life like me? Um, well, right, um, and I think that even comes out with that testicular bill of rights bill. Right. Or, you know, collection of bills that a state legislator in Georgia put out to merely put men, to give them a second to imagine what would it be like if there were restrictive laws against their reproductive health. Right. And this, the thing is just like, sc- just received with screams and yes. outrage. Right. Yeah, yeah it's, it's one of those, I, I mean, I remember seeing signs that said, go back to the kitchen, Hillary, at her, at her campaign rallies. And it does play such a large role, these kind of gender norms and gender politics in our politics. And it's kind of strange to me that it still plays a large role i don't know well it's like a you know i think like who we vote for president is kind of in a weird way like a ten thousand foot view of where how far we've progressed right. and i think it shows that like racism is less ingrained than misogyny and patriarchy because people have been like all right a black guy i can vote for that right and then when it got shaken up a little bit there was clearly like just this real like misplaced sentiment against Hillary that, I mean, sure, there were things that people might not have agreed on, but even when it came down to, you know, xenophobic, homophobic man versus a woman, then all, then it was, just, I think it was easier for people to just be like, oh, it's easier for me to think this other way than to try and feel like I'm, I'm re- like 
that society was ready to accept this. I don't know. I just, it was, it, it sort of, I saw elements of that too. It was just sort of how I thought, oh, well, we've had a black president. Right. So maybe things are moving forward. And then I'm like, ah, okay. <laughs> we still, there's still a few more rivers we need to cross. Yeah. And Annie, like you were saying, it's, it comes down to, I mean, it's in everything. It's in our language. Like everything has some connotation when it comes to masculinity or femininity. And so it's, it's a lot harder uh, to avoid having judgmental thoughts when it comes to that, uh, how you feel about women in power versus, you know, Oh, and I also just want to clarify, I don't mean that the election of Barack Obama meant racism was over. <laughs> sure. Yes. Sure. <laughs> Said views were slightly softened. <laughs> um, so we have some more for you listeners, but first we're going to pause for a quick break for a word from our sponsor. And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. I've spent a lot of time thinking about, and I, I'm hoping to do an episode on it, women who, who voted for Trump and, um, or, or didn't vote for Hillary, like wouldn't vote for Hillary, whatever it was. Right. Um, and I had friends who, like to me, I was witnessing internalized misogyny. They, it was kind of like what you were saying. Yeah. They couldn't put their finger on it, but they're like, oh, I, I just don't want to. They would rather not vote than have voted for her. Yeah. One of the wildest things I read in the aftermath of the election was about a, a Women for Trump group that arose, uh, that was started the day after the Access Hollywood tape came out. Oh. Uh, because it was, I, I think, the response of the media to, you know, tell us how we were supposed to feel about him saying those things uh, really angered people who have really internalized values of how how women should think of their own place in uh in society was that an astroturf group though no it wasn't oh it wasn't like the women for kavanaugh who showed up that was like total like it was mostly guys yeah no this was (laughs) in the aftermath in a small town in colorado and then you know it kind of spread from there but this was an article that was written in the new yorker like a month after it was just like wait how did he win white women that seems very strange yeah i i had some friends who are very very intelligent after that access hollywood video came out kind of be like well you know they they were in the locker room i'm like no 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 (laughs) (laughs) stop but yeah that's that keeps me up at night sometimes thinking about that um I guess you have to ask, like, would you want to live in that locker room forever? <laughs> right. <laughs> what if you had to live in that locker room? Right. Is that a world you want? No. Okay, then I think we can't let that rock. <laughs> There's something else I wanted to touch on about the, the 2008 election and this likability problem. That's what the press called it, that Hillary Clinton had. Um, even Obama said, you're likable enough, Hillary. Um, <laughs> so just, just to 
illustrate that this has been going on for so long and that I do feel we haven't made that much progress on it. In 2013, then-Democratic candidate for mayor of New York, Christine Chris Quinn, spoke about this. She said, There was a conscious decision. I needed to not lean into the woman stuff. I needed to try to be less who I was. Less aggressive, less loud, less in people's faces. People said I was inauthentic. By then, I was. I was walking around trying to be some different version of the actual me. And I remember hearing that with Hillary Clinton, too, of just making the decision to not lean into, like, women's stuff as in issues, but also just, yeah, uh, being feminine in any way. Yeah, and there's, like, just such this weird sliding scale of authenticity that I, I don't know how it's actually applied, you know, where you look at someone who... If being feminine is too authentic, it's fine. Yet, if when it's also the authenticity thing is used to defend people's like really close minded or ignorant viewpoints that are said out loud. Yeah. It's like that's the authenticity defense. But also, this, I don't know, I, this idea, it sort of goes back to sort of the same thing that people couldn't quite put their finger on with Hillary. It's like, I don't know. So the same thing would be like, or it's like, oh, she's too much of a politician. Yeah. Or something, which is the other thing. And I'm like, what does that mean? Like, has substantive experience with foreign policy? <laughs> like, exactly. a politician? Is that not good? But I think it's sort of speaking to the, like, I guess they feel like they're not actually reading Hillary as being conditioned to try and sort of uh, make herself as sort of broadly appealing as possible by, you know, repressing certain elements of her personality. Um Yet, yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm it, rather than just looking at that, or they, they see that as gamesmanship rather than someone trying to adapt to the set of rules that has just been drilled into them. And then you kind of see the flip side of this coin with uh, where we're actually recording this the day that Beto O'Rourke yeah. uh, announced that he was running, and he did it in a video where um, he he was talking and gesticulating wildly in a way that seemed <laughs> unnatural, but uh, that's okay. Uh, but then he had his wife next to him just being silent. And I don't know, like in a, in a world that where we're coming off of the 2016 election, that seemed like a particularly pointed uh, sort of shot construction uh, to have a silent woman next to him who just kind of smiled and nodded. Uh, who, but who'd never said a word. It, it just seemed somewhat loaded. I don't know if intentionally or not. Or like it just signals. It's like, hey, he's a re- he's a dude with a wife. Yeah, you can <laughs> trust him. Right, right. But I do wonder. Like we know he has a wife. We know a lot of politicians have uh, significant others. But having her sit there silently in the shot, I wonder if his handlers or the people behind his campaign are thinking, okay, this is us announcing, don't worry, guys, we got this. It's We're back to just dudes, okay? Right. Just some dudes here, and uh, we're going to keep the women silent. But I think when I, we look at most political ads, people aren't even thinking in, what, that deep into it, too. Right. And it's just like, oh, yeah, we inadvertently made it kind of awkward. Yeah. <laughs> I, I am uh, here analyzing a YouTube video like it is you know, was puzzled over like a mm. every, a shot in a, a Kubrick movie, but still. Yeah, I do that all the That's time. That's what I do. <laughs> yeah, I do it all the time, too. Um, I agree. There is something, 
weird about that whole thing, especially since most of our politicians, particularly most of our politicians that do public apologies, usually for something sexual in nature, and there's always, they always have their wife in the background. And it, there's that whole song and dance feels very strange to me. Like you're making yeah, her good, come yeah. out here and kind of sanction, yes, I know he did this thing and I'm sticking by him. It's just strange. It's, yeah. It's the prop thing of the same thing of just like, you see, if a woman, the woman is there, therefore he's okay <laughs> what he did. It's just like in, what was that? The Michael Cohen hearing when I think it was Tom Cotton or somebody brought out a black cabinet member oh, or yeah. employee of the Trump and was just like, and you see this black woman <laughs> right. shows the president is not racist. Clearly. You. you may <laughs> leave. Do not say anything. <laughs> right. Your mere physical presence is an indicator of a point I'm trying to make. You have fulfilled your purpose as a shield. Yeah. Yeah, that was gross. Um. <laughs> yeah, it was just cringy. And I think, yeah, that, that when you see that too, it's just sort of the... Well, we gotta have the wife there to show, like, okay, so she's if she can if she can forgive, then maybe the country can. <laughs> right. Right. Now, speaking of the country, do you think because America has never had a head of state who uh who is a woman, uh, but most other countries have. Right. Um, do you think there is something specific to America about this insecurity and this very specific sort of fear of powerful women and if so what what is it about the american character that that makes us so uh, terrified of powerful women that's that's a very interesting question and the, mm. the the thing that my mind immediately went to and this is probably such um kind of a nerdy stretch <laughs> um but I once did a paper on why is it that people are so afraid of socialism in the United States. And one of the reasons that I I found a lot in my research is that um, the United States has never been invaded on our, or like home, on our uh, continental U.S. has never been invaded. And uh, having that that experience brings people together that normally wouldn't come together and it makes them see each other in kind of similar circumstances. So like during London and Blitzkrieg, you could have rich people and poor people all trying to survive in in the tunnels. Um, and so this is such a stretch, but I think that there's something about in the United States, we reward aggression and violence, um, violence, in other countries that I've been to is, like, not as normal in their media. Like, you're much likelier to see sex and drugs, which in the United States is kind of taboo, but violence. Um, I saw Inglorious Bastards in Europe, and the people I saw it with from Europe were shocked. And, like, these are generalizations, but I think there is something about aggression and rewarding aggression I'd have to think I'd have to think more about it, but I, I think just the the preference of masculine traits. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, and we've also had a we've been pretty good at manufacturing that what the by definition toxic masculinity, like through film and TV and things like that too, where we're just kind of like we always think in the diet we're fed here, especially through our own films and stuff, I kind of inform that idea too. Yeah, but we you know, a, a lot of 
uh, foreign countries import our culture. Right. And, uh, they still find a way to elect uh, heads of state who are women. But I, that that answer of, um, you know, never having been invaded, never been invaded, the sequel to Never Been Kissed, uh, <laughs> is, I, I, I think, a really good... I don't know. You're like, I need to think about it more, but that's that is a very thoughtful, very interesting answer. I like that a lot. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. But the the South in a way has been invaded. So right. the South is just need to let the South lead. Am I right, guys? Oh man. There, wasn't there there was a list though, the Washington Post that said like, you know, what the most sexist and like most sexist places are in America. It's mostly concentrated south of the Mason-Dixon. Ah, our theory. <laughs> it's out the window, out the window. <laughs> Definitely, I believe media has a, I'm always like, the media has a huge role. I, I sh- I'm sure that because we do, or we have for a while led the world in like Hollywood um, and exporting our media, I think that that is certainly at play. Yeah. Yeah. And we were, and we were built on a Puritan society, and right. So there are those values still echoing around. Yeah, and I think also just like you know, manifest destiny is all about domination and yeah. dominance, and right. the you know the whole country's built off this idea is like we're gonna fucking take what. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, go this for whole, this whole country's built on this sort of sentiment of like we will take whatever we want, right. and kick whoever it is off, right. because we deserve it, yes. and it's just that. This, it's like this idea of dominance is just constantly sown. I mean, in a lot of histories, but especially when you think of the displacement of like indigenous people and slavery and things like that, dominance is just such a huge part of it. Right. And it's sort of a lie. The, a lie, you know, the people who were here died off from a, a plague. And, right. But, but that lie is important to our self identity, like telling ourselves that. We dominated, and that's why we're here, as opposed to, I think you're right, you know, countries in Europe, uh, a lot of them, the culture lasts because of things like tradition. And so, like, tradition is valuable to them, and things they've done for years that their parents did, like, that's more important to them than violence. Right, and if if you think about the time after World War II, where this is like American exceptionalism is really in full swing and there's all of this disposable income and this is when there's the time of like the stay-at-home housewife and that that's what women did and men went out and made money um, and it was this kind of prosperous time and right now all of the the nostalgia, the very toxic, in my opinion, nostalgia for like make America great again, what they're remembering is right. that. But in Europe, it was war-torn and they were rebuilding and depending on the United States for for money. I think if we're looking at the generations now that we're hearing so loudly um, with this vitriol, it's just very different. And that's not to say there's not problems in Europe at all, but just like trying to to think of why the United States is behind in this issue. I think that that could be part of it as well. Yeah, and I guess also to your point of like not being invaded, right? That's that's a level of vulnerability that as a country we're not experiencing mm-hmm. and we don't acknowledge because it's allowed us to think we're invulnerable in a way. So then to look at, you know, just masculinity as being invulnerable or invincible and these things 
contributes to that. Because I even think, well, you know, my mom, she's from Japan, and she was born right after the A-bombs went off. Mm-hmm. And everyone from all my family members who grew up, the way they talk about it is they were tremendously vulnerable. Wow. And there was this, like, idea looking at everyone of, like, we're, we're picking up the pieces in an ash pile and no. trying to create some normalcy again. But there's this idea that everyone, you know, like, everyone acknowledges, yes, we don't have— we don't have the luxury of thinking everything's fine or going to be okay because we just went through something that shows that we are very much vulnerable and have something to, you know, rebuild around. And I wonder if that also helps connect people too because there's more of a, like, we're truly in this together. We can see that each other is equals because we're all kind of starting from the same place. Yeah, and I I, I wonder too if it has to do with how we elect people versus how other countries elect people. Because I know a lot of times the way that a woman got the like top position in the country is her party elected her, like parliament elected her, right. whatever party she's in in parliament. And then if there's a change of power, then she gets the top job. So it's kind really of— interesting. Yeah, so I, I bet that that also <laughs> is something that's going on. So it's like 20 different things. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We, uh, it we turns out this is complex. What? <laughs> oh, no. I didn't. I'm looking for something that'll fit on one note card with three <laughs> bullet points. <laughs> we'll work on it. It's it, the, the one bullet point is it's complicated. Right. <laughs> there was a 2010 study out of the Harvard Kennedy School of Women in Public Policy program that found that when participants saw men power-seeking, they were essentially like, good for him. And they attributed all these positive traits to him, like confidence, being assertive. But when they saw women being assertive, the participants had a different reaction. They, quote, experienced feelings of moral outrage, like contempt, anger, or disgust toward these women Mm. and saw them as less supportive or caring. Wow. Moral outrage. Moral outrage. (laughs) Disgust. Yeah, look at her. I have absolutely seen that, though. I have seen that in the way people respond to Elizabeth Warren and Hillary Clinton just being like, yeah, you know, Mm -hmm. I think it's disgusting. Or even just on Twitter. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Someone who's not even a celebrity. Right. Oh, my gosh. Just at every level, right? Yeah. Why aren't they like my mom? (laughs) (laughs) Really? Although, when I think about my mom, she was... Very aggressive. So I'm like, no, I, I, I enjoy those traits. Yeah. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, the idea, the moral outrage is like the, Im, I don't, I can't understand the morality of being assertive or honoring your desires and trying to go after them. Yeah. I, I think that what you said earlier about the puritanical roots, I think has something to do with that. Um, and this isn't, to disparage, but, you know, in the Bible, it's pretty, like, women, <laughs> you do this thing while men go do all the other important stuff. You stay at home. If, yeah, if Eve would have just listened. Right, right yeah. And not talked to that freaky snake. <laughs> yeah. We wouldn't yeah. all be sinners. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> that is somewhat uh, particular to the Judeo-Christian Bible, and uh, the Quran is still has some messed up stuff there about uh, women, but uh, you also notice that Muslim, majority Muslim countries have a better record when it comes to uh, women running, being heads of state. So, yeah. Also something to consider. Another thing, yet another thing. 
Yes. <laughs> I was looking into this this whole likability factor when it comes to presidential candidates, and a lot of researchers say Ronald Reagan was one of the first instances that demonstrated the power of likability in our politics. Because right. he won by a landslide, even though he wasn't really no. qualified in 1980. Um, right. <laughs> yeah. I, was a, I was a cowboy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, he was. Which I like movie, this guy. But yeah. Very masculine thing to be, right? Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Just John Wayne without just just with a little bit less out there racism. And then when George, and then when George H. W. Bush came along, even though his background was CIA, you know, uh, probably lots of lots of dark things in his history, uh, dark violent actions. The media just had it in their head that he was a wimp. Right. They kept teasing him, <laughs> calling him a wimp. And he, uh, some would argue, went to various wars uh, and invaded Panama because of the media teasing him as for being a wimp. Oh, my right, goodness. Because he wasn't being masculine enough. Yeah. Yeah, it's like, you're not a cowboy. Why are y'all quiet over there, glasses? Right, exactly. <laughs> you wimp. <laughs> wimp is such a wimp. playground insult. Every time Isn't I hear it, funny? it kind of cracks me up. <laughs> wimp. <laughs> um, but the question of women in public being likable goes way back. Way, 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 way back. Um, but first, we have one more quick break for a word from our sponsor. We're back. Thank you, sponsor. The first woman elected to U.S. Congress in 1917, Jeanette Rankin, was applauded in the press for being gentle and feminine, a.k.a. Mm. likable. Yeah. There you go. Mm-hmm. Um, likability uh. issues are as old as the suffrage movement. That's according to Don Teal, who is a political scientist, a political science professor at the University of Pennsylvania. Um, and words like shrill and ugly did start to be used more when first wave feminism was rising up. Yeah, I think shrill is a good one to just kind of stow away in your brain as anytime you hear that, you can... That uh, person has seated their place yes, in right. a reasonable argument. Right. I think likable is another one, but shrill is sort of a... a should set off alarm bells as, okay, this person is talking about something that they don't realize they're talking about. Uh, but yeah. they're talking about their own inbuilt uh, biases on gender and sex. Yeah, when Donald Trump used, he used shrill and nasty woman, I was kind of shocked. It was like so outright <laughs> that right. I almost couldn't believe it, but that's just his MO. He does that with homophobia. He does it with racism. Uh, but yeah, he, he definitely used those two words that I was... Taken aback. <laughs> Doesn't he know? Well, we're a we're a pro Trump podcast, the Daily oh. Zeitgeist. So we. <laughs> My apologies. Uh, yes. My apologies. Let people think that. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I did want to bring up. You can see this through the lens of race as well. Like going back to Serena yeah. Williams, like the angry black woman, the spicy mm. Latina. Which again, mm. these are things that are like to shut women down. When you right. say that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the angry black woman. It's like, hmm, there's just, again, uh, we don't like people. Sticking up for yourself is angry right. or spicy. Yeah. Right? We, we prefer mild. 
Right. right. <laughs> we prefer mild to spicy. Yeah, we don't want fuego sauce. <laughs> <laughs> Um, there's another study I found in researching this that I wanted to bring up. Uh, it was it was from this Glamour article I was reading, and it had two versions of a negative political ad. One was narrated by a male candidate and one by a female candidate. Both versions use the same words, are at the same decibel volume, and yet listeners were more likely to describe the version with a woman's voice as louder, more negative, and less likable. Yep. Yep. We've done that experiment in our office once with uh, two videos, same video, one male host, one with a female host. All of the comments on the one hosted by the man were like, great job, very informative. All the comments on the one, well, not all, but most of them were about her appearance. They didn't think she was competent. Oh, she Jesus. didn't know what she was talking about. Yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. What happened when the people realized they were part of an experiment? I don't know that we ever announced it. I did print out some of my favorite uh, mean comments, and I made a collage of them, and I'm hoping to do, like, a modern art piece with it. There you um, go. Or <laughs> slam poetry And then or you invite all those commenters to the yes. debut of the modern art right. piece. And yes. Then, and then beat them up one by one. I wonder <laughs> what it would be like, though, when people then are confronted with that, because a lot of these people, I'm sure, they would out, out like outwardly be like, oh, I'm, you know, I'm an ally. Yeah, right. or something. Then let these kind of weird comments set in, and then you say, "Oh, guess what, friend? Right? Uh, look at your response to these two things are like very different. What then? How that would get someone's wheels turning and be like, oh, well, you know, I that's just how I I don't know. I, I just felt more inclined to respond to that. I also felt that about the man, but you know what I mean? Like <laughs> yeah. how yeah. someone would try and backpedal from that. It's interesting because yeah, sometimes when you confront somebody about uh, you know a mean comment or an ignorant comment, they'll just be uh, you know they'll be like, "Oh my gosh, I'm so sorry, I had no idea." And other times they'll just double down. Yeah, they or they're just really angry and they right. again they want to feel like they're in control by goading someone to responding, and then ED solved. <laughs> <laughs> Is this something the both of you have some experience with? Yeah, I'm. It's I. Uh, you know, I'm always constantly looking for remedies for. <laughs> Is that what you were? <laughs> I'm asking? sorry. Was that the question? No. <laughs> oh wow. Okay. Uh, then I wasn't. <laughs> then he wasn't talking oh, about never that mind. either. <laughs> no, I'm fine. I'm fine, actually. Sure. So, oh yeah. I know. I uh, believe it. No, I mean, I think you know there there actually are moments even on our show I noticed where if women had interesting takes on science that were maybe you know, outside of the mainstream. Even, you know, our show's a comedy show mm -hmm. where people might say something about something science adjacent, adjacent. People really come out in the comments to be like, I really didn't like that. That was this, 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 men and women. Yeah. Yet when a lot of men come on and say just absurd stuff. Yes. And sometimes they they believe what they say. You know, everyone, there's a degree of, uh, of uh, humor to what everyone's saying. But again, we see, I've, I've definitely noticed that where people... They they definitely have the energy to yeah. sort of call uh, like a woman's commentary out. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And we're a show that is you know on its face, not we're we absolutely try and make it a point to not dabble in any kind of toxic masculinity and be as like even handed with what our takes are. But it's still I think there's still just sort of that like there's that inbuilt sort of misogyny, internalized misogyny that creeps up. Yeah, I think the response sometimes is, why didn't you stop her? Why didn't you, yeah. Yeah. Like, why didn't you guys t why shut you her down? Her? And mm -hmm. it's like, you, you know, that's 
them internalizing like how this is supposed to go. Right. They say to. that you have to swat it down. Right. And I'm like, well, no, that's that's what they wanted to say. I didn't I never said I agreed with it, but right. I'm you know, the show's for people to express themselves. Not mm. enough interrupting. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you should have told her to smile more. <laughs> yeah, we can hear that through audio. Um, I do think it's a, I have personally witnessed the same thing where it's, it seems to be worse in fields like science. Yeah. Yeah. Which is interesting. But going back to like politics and likability, according to the Barbara Lee Family Foundation, and this is a foundation that studies the representation of women in politics, they found in 2010 the most significant predictor when it came to the possibility for a successful candidacy for a woman was likability. And that is a big deal because it directly impacts representation and who gets a seat at the table. And on top of that, other than being quiet and not threatening long-accepted social norms, what is likability? Some people said it was being honest, um, looking the part, which, okay, that's a big can of worms. Uh, Problem solver, like... (laughs) What? I don't just vague <laughs> terms that mean good. I like. <laughs> you mean integrity? No, likability. Yes. Oh, okay. You mean yeah. someone who is willing to sort of think out an, an issue and find a solution? Nah, likability. Yeah. Problem solver. Yeah. Whatever that is. I feel I like know. looking the part would be being a man. <laughs> right. Yeah. No, for real. Yeah. Vermont's first female and first Jewish governor, Madeline Kunin, wrote about this, um, and she wrote, if you're tough enough to be commander-in-chief, you're not likable. You lose some of your femininity. So women have to walk a very fine line to be both, and usually they don't wear well over time. I would agree. That's kind of like the cool girl thing, where you can do it for a little bit, but it it wears off. Yeah, I'd imagine that would be incredibly exhausting to have to be responding to criticism from idiots who you know <laughs> are making points that like are are incorrect and you are having to do like that that's the thing with yeah like Elizabeth Warren if she does drink a beer and it doesn't seem authentic maybe it's not authentic because she feels a little off kilter because she's having to react to your stupid criticism all the time um yeah i don't know it's it I think that it must be just, this can't be very healthy for, you know, a person's mental health to have to deal with this sort of BS. Yeah, I agree. And I think it's it's just a lot to ask. And we're asking it of someone who in theory is going to be the, like in charge of our country and one of the most powerful people in the world. And we're basing it on, I, I I don't know. I guess I like her. I, it does. Right. <laughs> I don't. I don't yeah. believe she really liked that beer. Um. So it's like, yeah. Wait. She was a special forces pilot. Okay. No. But uh, she have grandma glasses. Right. <laughs> huh. I don't know. I, I don't can't, know about this then. Can't let that stand. Look the part. That's it. I like yes. that you mentioned the cool girl thing. That reminds me of the monologue from Gone Girl, which is one of my yes. favorite monologues ever, where she talks about, you know, having to pretend to be something you're not, and eventually you're going to start murdering people, as that movie taught us, right? 
Yeah, that's the eventual outcome. So we should be very concerned about this whole thing, as it turns out. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. And it Hillary's is true. coming for all of you. Oh, I, I would watch that horror movie in a heartbeat. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I would watch that if it was an action movie, if it was just like Rambo, just her going through and yes. getting her revenge. <laughs> I want to see <laughs> that now. <laughs> in a mech suit, maybe? Like, just oh, to make yeah. it, like, mm. extra efficient? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, somebody listening, please make that. I mean, yeah. Who do we know who she's represented by? Maybe we can oh. write a spec script, get that to her. Right. I think I would love to see her act in it. Yeah. Yeah. No, no. For sure. Especially cathartic. Yeah. Yes. It it needs to be her. Yeah. Yeah. And I think her and, acting yeah. won't be very good. And I'm very excited about that. I think it's gonna be kind of like stilted. Um. <laughs> no, you know what? She won't have to say a thing. Right. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because she's omnipotent. Mm. She doesn't even need to use words. She just pulls up, vaporizes Trump with her, like, with her blinks. It'll be the first special effects, like, green screen thing where we're actually showing her what the audience is seeing so we can capture her performance Mm. as she witnesses just (laughs) Donald Trump (laughs) blown to pieces. (laughs) This sounds very um, cathartic for all of us. Yeah, I know. I'm, I'm getting way too into this. I'm like, okay, so here's how we do it, guys. It's going to be claymation, stop motion. Okay. Uh, no. Or every time she smiles, it unleashes this energy burst because, like, you should smile more. Yeah. And it's like, no, don't. <laughs> oh, I think wow. this is an Oscar winner. This I, is something. We've yes. got an animated. We got an animated short at the very least. Oh. Right? Anyone is good at flash animation. <laughs> <laughs> I am so into this. So into this. Be called Hell Hath No Fury. Oh. <laughs> wow. Or that would be the tagline. I'm not going to be able to sleep tonight. It would be called Hill Hath No Fury. Oh. Yeah. He's not the best in the biz for nothing, folks. Oh, this is so good. I mean, He's if, coming up with ideas that'll never be made, baby. <laughs> this whole episode is, it, it's been great, but that alone, oh. I'm so glad we got that out of it. <laughs> we just cut it down to this pitch. <laughs> I love it. By Jack and Miles, Hill hath no fury. <laughs> well, thanks so much for joining us. Hey, what was the about? <laughs> I love it. I love it. Um, I did want to add on here that likability politics does exist for both men and women. Uh, but the foundation's research, the foundation I was talking about earlier, found the same thing that other studies have found, that female candidates have to be viewed as both likable and qualified, but for men, you just have to be seen as qualified. Likeability is a plus, but it's optional. Right, right. And, yeah, one thing we um, have kind of been, I think is obvious, but politics is not the only arena where this problem exists. Right. Yeah, it's pretty much everywhere we see it with celebrities. I love when a male celebrity says he's a feminist and everyone's like, oh, he's the best. And a female celebrity says it and they're like, oh, she's not. Did you see those outfits she was wearing? Um, Yeah, right. Oh, feminists can't dress how they want to. No, no, no. That's ridiculous. That's my favorite argument. I know. (laughs) Argument. Oh, well, I I didn't know feminists dress like that. I'm sorry, what is your idea of feminism, sir? <laughs> right, exactly. Everybody becomes a fashion critic all of a sudden. These right. guys who, like, shop at Bass Pro. <laughs> Bass <laughs> Great. Pro shop. Great store, by the way. So, yeah, sure. I'm getting all my fashion takes from the guy in the camo under armor hoodie. <laughs> right, right. As you should. As you should. Yeah. There was a 2014 Forbes article I found that called for employees to submit employer reviews. And through analyzing these reviews, the article's author, who is a CEO, Kieran Schneider, 
found that of the almost 250 reviews submitted, 58.9% of the male employee reviews came with critical feedback. For women, that number was 87.9%. Two out of the 83 critical reviews for male employees criticized tone, but 71 of the 94 critical reviews for female employees did. Tone. Massive Mm. number. That is... Incredible. Tone is code for I don't want to feel emasculated right. ever. Right. Yeah. Right. It's just what the I don't know. It's <laughs> again, I mean, it's a lot of things that like when you actually read statistics, it's so much uh I, I don't know. It, it it really brings it more to the surface. I mean, not that I was like ignorant of these kinds of things, but when you actually all these examples are taking me for a ride. I'm just thinking how infuriating that must be for, I mean, these are people talking about their boss. So this woman yeah. is like, they, they, it, it, these are the employees just being like, her tone is kind of like, she needs to work on her tone. It's just like, what are you talking about? That's, <laughs> uh. yeah, My could, boss is all like, yo, can you do this? And I was like, whoa, you're tone. Right. <laughs> He's like, you ain't the boss of me, boss. Why have you been so bossy? Yeah, Uh, I'm your subordinate, but like, come on. (laughs) Do it with some grace. Bossy Pants, by the way, one of the great books. That's 20 years, in my opinion. I love that (laughs) book. good segue. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that was a pro. pro We can all agree. Laugh every other sentence. (laughs) And I did want to, I don't want to go super dark, but I do think that we should say here, at, at the darkest conclusion, this pressure for women to be likable is dangerous. Um, maybe you didn't listen to your instincts that something is off in a situation because you didn't want to be unlikable. Maybe you don't speak out or you don't leave when you want to because you don't want to be unlikable. I can say personally I have trouble physically raising my voice because I've been so conditioned that was not something women did, and that is dangerous. Like, Especially combined with the fear of violence resulting from rejection, um, de-escalation women often do to let men down easy. Um so, just want to put that grim kind of pin in here. It's not. That's a very important and good point. Yeah. And again, look, ladies, please just take the wheel from us. <laughs> <laughs> it's not going well at all. Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. I was born into this, but please just take the wheel. <laughs> um, do you guys have any, like, I try to end on a positive note. I, sure. I do think that we're talking about it. It is getting better. Um, is there anything positive that, that you can think of to, to end this on? Well, uh, I think we just fixed it. That's one positive oh, yeah. thing, right? Yeah, yeah. Yep. this conversation. <laughs> we can uh, pat ourselves on the back for sure. Uh, you mean just good in, in sort of what I see in the world today or just something I really like? You know, I'll take either. (laughs) (laughs) No, I mean, the one thing that's a little bit just uh, that makes me feel somewhat optimistic is just like with, I mean, it's it's a dark thing that has a light side too. Just sort of all of the criticism of Ilhan Omar uh, coming out and the wild double standard that's being applied in her case that there at least there is pushback to a degree that I've not seen before from other politicians and the media. Because it, I feel like years ago, stories like that would just be like, yep, that's it. She said something anti-Semitic, and that's that. And now there are, like, at least some, there'll, all, there'll be some sort of, there, there's a little more analysis now around, hmm, 
well, are we, are, wait, are, are we the bad people here that we're only analyzing it in one way? Uh, and I, I, there, there's just, I don't know. There's some, there's a slow, slow march. Uh, but right. yeah, th- but that's one thing that I was like, oh, wow. Like years ago, I felt like it, the story just would have ended there. Yeah. Yeah. I'll, I'll take it. I'll take it. <laughs> even then, it's like, it's still dark. <laughs> and I'm like, mm-hmm. yeah. Even though it's a huge, you know, it, it's not uh, equal. There's still, I think, more women protagonists in movies today than 10 years ago, which I guess is moving well, slightly yeah. in the right direction. And Captain Marvel had like the biggest, one of the biggest Tuesdays ever for a Disney film. Like a Tuesday. Right. Wow. Yes. I, I do think that, you the know, development people the again. more women get to do things in culture and in power, the more it will become, it will become undeniable <laughs> that they're just as good or better suited for these positions. And I, th- I think if we were living through the Hillary Clinton uh, presidency right now, we'd be talking we'd- about her pantsuit. <laughs> or or we'd be like, wow, why did it take us this long to elect a a woman president? Sure, but probably. Yeah, and also even like with film though too, you look at it like clearly like we've hit peak ideas with me- like male dominated film industry, right? And now like with like female directors and writers are like making the best stuff now, and it's like yeah, right, right, yeah. <laughs> Just let let let's include everyone, and we'll actually see some some good things happen. Yeah, and I think that it's I'm a big believer if you if you see it, you can be it. So now that we have more female politicians, the number is still very small, but we do have more and they're kind of out in the public and I think I hope that younger girls see that and think to themselves, I can do that too. Or they see these female directors or these female-led action movies or whatever movies they might be and think I can do that too and then the number will just grow. That's my my hope. <laughs> yeah, and I, I I think busting up gender norms and getting away from women have to be this way and men have to be that way, super important. Yeah, agreed. Yes. Um, I'll just be a little more flexible. Yeah. You know, and just, I mean, really the bottom line is how willing are we to accept new things? <laughs> right. You know, and it's, it's fairly, it's, I think it's easy. Nothing's going to harm you. <laughs> Well, I don't know. I don't know these scary, scary women in their their. I mean, you got suits. these, tes- yeah, these testicular bill of rights coming out now. Oh. Can you believe that? Mm. That's that's what happens. I have to happens. get permission. I have to get permission for a vasectomy. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> that's right. Wow. Like to see you try that. Did you see that thing from Buffalo Wild Wings about the vasectomy chair? You know, this is oh. a real tangent, but look it up after after this. I just can't recommend okay. it enough. Um, <laughs> I do, before we, like, the final note before we close out, I do want to say there is, like, no excuse for being a jerk. That's not necessarily what we're talking about when we say, like, ability. But different thing. Yes. Right. Right. <laughs> and I, I want to thank you both so much for, for coming on the show and having this conversation. It's been super fun. Yeah, this has been so fun. Thank yes. you for having us. Oh, anytime, anytime. And I will come back on your show anytime. Yeah, Preferably when there's a trailer soon. that I want 
And we all know it'll it'll drop. Oh, we'll that arrange day. it. So. We'll arrange it. Yes. Perfect. Just say what film and we'll make it happen. Because <laughs> we're in LA and that's how we do stuff. That's I knew right. it. I knew living in LA gave you that power. <laughs> so <laughs> glad you finally one. confirmed it for me. It's kind of like how people think it is. Mm. Exactly. <sighs> I can just hold on one second. Hello, operator. Hollywood, please. <laughs> oh, <yes>. Wow. <laughs> I, I knew a superhero it. trailer three months from today. Okay, so that's done. Leonardo DiCaprio is actually in the booth right now. He's, uh, he's engineering vaping. this podcast. Yeah. Uh, he's like ghost podcasting. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, he's our engineer. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I should have known. Where can the good listeners find you both? You can find us every weekday on the podcast, The Daily Zeitgeist, uh, also through How Stuff Works slash the iHeartRadio Podcast Network, uh, where we catch you up on things that are happening in the news cycle and kind of dig deep into America's shared consciousness. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Jack underscore O'Brien. I'm uh, on Twitter and Instagram at Miles of Gray, G-R-A-Y. Yeah, so go go check them out, listeners. And thanks again to both of you for being on. Oh, it's our pleasure. Oh, yeah. Oh, so fun. And if you would like to find us, listeners, you can. Our email is momstuff at stuffworks.com, And you can find us on Twitter at momstuffpodcast and on Instagram at Stuff Mom Never Told You. Thanks, as always, to our producer, Andrew Howard. And thanks to you for listening. Mm-hmm.